Today we're kicking off this new series called It's Just a Phase, Don't Miss It, okay? So again, looks like the video we watched. Uh, it goes by in a flash. Anybody in here who's had children? All the, I see all the people nodding their heads already. <coughs> it goes by in a flash, right? So much faster than you could possibly imagine. And, and so what we're going to do in this series is break it out into just a few sections. Uh, today we're going to hyper-focus on those first five years, okay, from baby to five, which as we're going to talk about is a miraculous five years when it comes to the development of, uh, of kids. But those preschool years, those early littles, you know, those little, the, the little ones in your life um, in those years, and kind of how God sees uh, these kids. So we want to give you a real quick uh, glimpse into our life. Uh, these are our children when they were little, when they were in this little phase. Uh, this is our firstborn, who's 19 now. Uh, but this is our firstborn, Parker, in her sassy little uh, phase. She's still a little bit like that. Um, what's that? She was one year, one years old here in this picture. It was, it was great. So uh, that's her at one. Um, and then a couple years later, we had him. We had Thomas, all right? And uh, maybe this Popeye phase came true because now he can bench press people. So anyway, he's... <laughs> Uh, he's 17. He's a man-child running around here, um, and so. Uh, but this was also about probably one to two years old-ish, in about the same range. Uh, and then we currently have our youngest is Charlie, and that's the one that a lot of you guys who have been around here know because you hear us yelling her her name down the hall, or you just hear her talking, which sounds like yelling anyway because she has my voice. And so uh, that's our littlest one so far in terms of uh, our family. Uh, we've been married 29 years, and uh, we were fortunate enough that my wife got to be home uh, and full-time, as a full-time mom, for when our kids were going through uh, this phase. Um, she's also had experience in preschool, teaching preschool. Um, she's currently a director of Grace Covenant Preschool over just up the way, uh, going into her second year. That's me bragging a little bit on my bride, um, going into her second year there. But um, so I just invited her. I said, you know, I'd love, as we're talking about this incredible time of development, um, I'd love to have you join me, not only because I enjoy doing this with her, but um, just I think she has some wisdom to share today from our experience and from what she's seen in terms of uh, how do we as a church and just not just parents, but as a church invest into the next generation. So, yeah, so we wanted to start out with just um, the scriptural um, example of how does God see children? And it just helps us to just kind of lay that foundation um, for how He views them and sees them. Psalm 127 3 <coughs> says that children are a gift from the Lord, they are a reward from Him. And um, I just, you know, quickly just want to say that, you know, it, it, we have three. We had a big gap between our second and third child. And um, when we were pregnant with this, with uh, Charlie and the third one, it was, it was a bit scary at times. But we, we had family speaking into us saying, this child is going to be a blessing. This child is going to be a joy to you and your family. And it's so true. Those were words of life when I was listening to the fears that come up and say, oh, but you are a very older mom to be having a child at this stage. But, um, you know, it was a great reminder that... They called um, you Jerry. Jerry yeah, I, I was called and it was, it, the term was elderly multigravita, um, which is basically you're an old woman having a baby. <laughs> That's the technical, they, they have a fancy term for it, but it was elderly or... or and they did kind of treat you like, here comes yeah. Sarah coming to have yeah. her child at 100 years old. Are you, know, you or, Moses? Or, yeah, or something you know, like it was... Um, 
It's crazy. Uh, Abraham, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Abraham, I had my, anyway, so they treated me like you were decrepit. <laughs> and anyway, but we had family just encouraging yeah. us saying, you know, this is, this child is special. So embrace it. She's going to bring you joy. And she certainly has. Yep, for sure. Um, and then I, I wanted to share a quick scripture that I learned uh, or that was kind of highlighted to me early on in ministry. Um, I was not very good with children when we were first married. We helped in the youth ministry, which is the, <laughs> about the youngest I can go. Um, they thought because I sang or did music that, that I could do good with children. And I, I tend to yell and, and, and yell at children. Does that make any sense? Like I tend to yell at children as a natural It wasn't thing. yelling. It's just you f- are forceful I'm, with your speech. I'm very passionate and forceful with my voice. So anyway, they did, the children's pastor did not appreciate that about me um, when I addressed children. So it didn't last very long. Um, but I did have to, I, honestly, in terms of ministry, it was so interesting to me, this little encounter with Jesus um, kind of just shared a little bit about, you know, just well, how did God how does God see these littles? Um, and, and, and really, I, I want to read this. This is from Matthew 18 and 19, but here's a couple different encounters. Uh, in Matthew 18, it starts off and says, about the time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Again, Jesus would talk a lot about the kingdom of heaven as it was coming to earth and as it will be. And so they, you know, who's the greatest? And Jesus called a little child to him and put that child among them. And I want you to know that I really do believe that this was a little, okay? This was a little child. This wasn't some, you know, nine, ten-year-old kid. This was one of those, you know, dirty, snot-faced, you know, little petri dishes, we call them, right? And and in preschool, like one of the, just, he grabbed one of the most innocent, probably, children he saw and just brought them before all of them and said this. He said, uh, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you're never going to get into the kingdom of heaven. And it says, so anyone who, who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that cool? Like just using that child as an example. Then he goes on to give the blessing. Anyone who welcomes this little child on my behalf is like welcoming me. And he's only done that two different times in scripture in terms of equating how we treat others to treating himself. And then he goes on to give a warning. But if you cause one of these little ones to trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Basically, that blessing and warning, that blessing and curse, if you will, of, of how he sees the importance of these, these little. As a matter of fact, in verse 10, it says, Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of, their, of, our, of my heavenly Father. So, uh, not to... to you know, kind of uh, prolong this, but I have a picture in my, in my mind from when I grew up, one of the earliest memories I have uh, in my, fa- my house of hold of faith, if you will, my family of faith, um, is this picture from uh, when I was a kid. I don't know if many of you guys remember this. This was a kind of a Dutch or a German painter. I uh, couldn't remember exactly, but it, it's, it's an older portrait, and I'm not trying to, you know, again, I don't know what this verse exactly means in terms of that. I don't want to perpetuate some sort of bad doctrine about guardian angels or anything like that, but there's a lot we know about angels. There's a whole lot we don't, right? But it's so interesting when Jesus was trying to get the point across about how important these little ones were. And I remember as a kid, like, this message came through to me, right? This, this just a picture in my home, just brought about a very clear message to me about how, how valuable we were, about how valuable children were 
to God, just even through a picture uh, like this. Matthew 19, this is another encounter where one day parents uh, brought their children to Jesus so he could lay hands on them and pray for them. Again, children probably had needs, but the disciples scolded the parents for bothering Jesus, for bothering him. But Jesus said again, let the children come to me. Do not stop them. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And then he placed his hands on their head and blessed them before he left. And so my, my, just, my challenge here is just the challenge I had personally. Do you see little children the way God sees them, right? When you see a group of, of preschoolers, right? Like, I mean, she, you know, I've seen all her preschoolers kind of line up and get ready to go into their classrooms. Like, when you see a group of preschoolers, what do you see? Well, I believe Jesus was trying to help the disciples see that little children like this reflect the kingdom of God. They reflect God's kingdom. That was the per- that's what you should see every time you see these littles. They really do represent and are, and are a reflection of God's kingdom on earth. So as we, as parents and a faith community surround these children, um, we're given, you know, a mandate to raise them up, to point them in the right direction. In fact, Proverbs 22 says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it. I forgot to tell um, them the scripture cards. Oh, yeah. yeah, the scripture card has this on there, and these are some great passages, um, but this is the first one, and it's talking about, um, you know, our call to guide them and direct them, and of course, as we know in Proverbs, we are to um, use uh, this, his word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet, this God's word. And so as we view that path that we are taking children along, it made me think about this example of as, my, uh, as a child, I was very young and uh, tomboyish, and my dad would take me camping and hiking all the time, and it was wonderful. I loved being outside in nature. But what he taught me when we were hiking is how to follow the trail, what to look for, what is a trail even like? And so as, as I grew, I, I noticed that, you know, there's, there's a path that you're on. There are things that are cut back and kept out of the way so that you can make it through. We saw markers. We saw flags. We saw indicators that we were on the right path. And I felt like that's a great picture of what that verse is telling us to do, to direct our children onto the right path so that when they're older, they're not going to depart from it. When they're older, they're going to know how to navigate that path alone when you are no longer with them. And so that is a high calling, but it's one that I think is um, certainly doable as we talk through Scripture and what He has given us to I make that say, happen. You said in the first service, too, I would add that about this, they're not promises. Yeah, you know. I mean, and it's important when we read Proverbs, I, I do yeah. try to point out that we don't want to claim that every statement is a promise. These are principles. These are guidelines. These are wisdom for us as we grow and nurture these, um, these young believers. Um, because as you'll know, that you will talk to some parents who will say, I did everything right. you're saying, and the outcome has not been what I expected. Yeah, this doesn't guarantee your kid stays on the right path. It it's guarantees your kid will know what the right path is, whether they choose to follow it or not. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's important to point out. Yeah, yeah, I mean, because these are the things that, that kind of bring tension in the life of right. a follower of Christ. Um, so as we go on, we ultimately are trying to teach them what is that path? 
What does it look like? What are the markers? What are the indications that you're on the right path? And sometimes as you're hiking in the woods, you get off the path and you're like, ooh, I don't see anything that looks right. And so you backtrack and you go back and you find that path. And that's the prayer of every parent, that when your child finds themselves off the path, they're going to recognize it and they will return to it at some point, quicker, hopefully, than than not. So let's go back to a psalm, too. There's another calling. There's so much that's spoken to parents. The next verse on your um, card is probably Psalm 78, 4. It says, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. Then command our parents to teach it to their children so the next generation would know and all the generations to come. Know the truth and tell the stories so that their children can trust in God. Wait, that right there is a, right there is know the truth. This is a command to us. Know the truth and tell the stories so that the children can trust in God. Never forget the works of God, but keep his commands to the letter. Heaven forbid they should be like their parents, bullheaded and bad and fickle and faithless bunch who never stayed true to God. Now, that's a message paraphrase, but the wording and the, the language is so powerful. That's why we chose to use it. We don't want our children to view us that way. We don't want to be like those children of Israel who constantly disobeyed and suffered devastating consequences because they were just stubborn. Mm. God described them as a stubborn and obstinate bunch because he would, he's like, I held my hand out to you all day and and you're not, you're not listening. You're not responding. You're a, a stubborn and obstinate people. Mm-hmm. So what this is telling us is we are to know the truth and we're to tell our children. It makes me think of the times when our kids were little. We homeschooled for the first, you know, four or five years. And um, my son would love, love, love hearing the same stories over and over. He loved the story of Balaam and the talking donkey. Do y'all know that story? Yeah. He loved that one. Probably because Tell you, it again. Yeah, telling it because you can you can just imagine the mind of a child that is so fascinating. But you know what? These are examples of how we know the truth and we we teach it to our children. We teach them of God's power, of his intervening in the lives of his people. We talk about his love and his faithfulness. And these are the ways, one of the many ways that we can just plant those seeds of truth in their hearts and minds. Yeah, and I was going to say, you know, a phrase that we talked about going into today was this idea of, of what does it look like to focus on faith rather than a formula, right? What does it look like to, to choose a direction? The, the challenge we've, we are given is to direct our children on the path, right? Like it's, a, it's, a, it's an aspect of faith, what they're following, not just some sort of formula that is outcome-based, right? Form, formulas are based on, well, I want my kid to go to Princeton. You know, I want my kid to go to Harvard. I want my kid. So I have the formula of what they need to, what needs to happen. And guys, I'm telling you, the, the, the amount of people that I see, I know you see the pressure on these preschoolers to get it right, even before they start school. You know, it, it's so crazy. Like on the outside looking in, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, but like there's, we get so caught up in sometimes this idea that step one and step two and step three will equal step four, uh, you know, equal something. And, and it's not that tools are not good. It's not that tools are not helpful, but we want, we believe the charge in scripture is that we are to direct. 
we are, it's more of a directional pursuit. That's what following your faith, living out your faith uh, looks like. And so I want to read really quickly this, um, this passage. Uh, uh, this is your read-along, by the way. Uh, Deuteronomy 4, if you want to turn in your scriptures and your copy of scriptures to Deuteronomy 6, actually is what it says. Uh, I said it wrong. Verse 4. Um, I want to read this and then just, we, we wrote down a few things that we really do believe will help us kind of focus our, our efforts in terms of the, the littles, um, in terms of faith over formulas. Um, this is where we start in verse 4. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to the commands that I'm giving you today. These are Moses' sort of final words to God's people. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. Now, those last few examples, I know might sound a little strange to us, but the tie them on your wrists and, you know, put it on your forehead, those were all kind of contextual to the Jewish people about how they thought and how they lived and how they, how they processed and how they behaved in, in, the, in their world. And so he was kind of giving this, this idea like, you're going to model out this, this faith everywhere you go. And because you're wholehearted, you're going to commit wholeheartedly to, to this faith of your life, you're going to repeat this again and again and again to, uh, to your children. Yeah, one of the phrases that you've used in the past has been um, all the time, everywhere, right. in reference to that passage. Um, and again, modeling is the key. Um, I was thinking about this when we were planning this um, talk, or just a couple ahead. of weeks fault. you did. That's I okay. skipped ahead. Sorry, babe. That's okay. Um, but one of the things in terms of modeling made me think right. of a great example to share is just, this just happened weeks ago. Yep. Um, Matt was planning to go to Canada to visit his family for a special event, and none of us could really go, but Charlie could, our youngest, and she was so excited. She was a road trip with Dad, all of this great stuff planned, and um, the night before, um, because he lives in, he's from Canada, they have to cross the border, I was like, oh, I got to get her birth certificate. And um, I, y'all, I'm not irresponsible, even though I was pretty much called as much when I could not find her birth certificate. I couldn't, it was nowhere that I usually leave it and place it. I've got a special place and it was gone. And um, to say that Charlie was devastated yeah. is, I cannot underscore this enough. The realization after me tearing the house apart for at least an hour looking for that birth certificate because she could not cross the border without it, the realization was a bitter one for her. I'm talking tears um, and almost tantruming, uh, to be honest. And at one point, we both came to the realization, God is in this. Something's up. This yeah. is no accident. This is no coincidence. So I, you know, we had we started at that moment. Listen, we believe that God makes all things work together for our good. All right. So we have to trust that for whatever reason, God does not have you going on this trip. And I know it's a thing that we don't understand. Well, let me fast forward to the next day or two. She wakes up sick as a dog. She wakes up with a horrific ear infection. 
fever, is feeling awful, and is pretty much in bed for the next few days. And um, we see immediately, I'm like, oh, baby, aren't you glad you're not on that trip right now? Because this would be a rough time. You would, you would be pretty miserable on that trip. And the realization that God had protected her, and, um, and there were other things that we later found out, too, that you didn't even have the full paperwork you needed. You would have been turned away at the border anyway. Possibly. That's Possibly, right. Possibly yeah. smuggling my child across the border, yeah. but, you know. Um, no, I, I, you know, it's so interesting. You know, kid wants to hear that, right? right? You don't get to do what you want to do. Well, we, might, we think that God might have that in store for you. Don't pull that on your children, by the way, unless it's true. Um, but we really do. We were like, we really think that God, you know, did that. And so it's hardly ever that fast right, right. of a connecting of the dots. But I was kind of really thankful that because she was so devastated. I think she called you incompetent at she, some point. In, it was not incompetent. It was really it was in, bad. Capable. It capable. Was, it was like, Mom, aren't you capable of keeping track of these papers? And I'm like, oh, I thought I was. I really did, and, and I usually am. But then for so fast to her get sick and then, like, to be able to acknowledge, like, God was protecting me. Like, that, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't happen all the time like that, but wow, what a really quick example of that. Yeah. Where we were trying to point her in the right direction, but even then, yeah. it was frustrating for us, too. Like it Incredibly. Was, I thought you know. I had lost my mind. I, I really, I was like, what have I done? But here's the thing, seeing, taking those moments, um, taking those moments to just point out truths, even though we don't fully understand how this is going to, you know, pan out. Um, and it, it, it works both ways that when we say things like, when we quote a scripture or a passage that we know is true, all things God works together for our good. The more we practice that, the easier it is to see it. Mm. We see it both in the negative outcomes, but we also see it in those positive ones. So um, that's just kind of an example of modeling truths to them that they can apply and that they can recognize as a marker on the path that they are still following and trusting. The big thing is teaching them to trust. Yeah. And, and this idea all the time everywhere, you know, it's not, it's not trying to get you to position yourself where you, you, you've got this pressure on yourself that you need to have your morning devotions with your two-year-old kind of thing, right? Like, like you're going to walk them Although through. Although that the, is great. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, like, not, I'm not against any of those things. you can and do, that's right, great. Right, But it's like, you know, the idea that, oh, we got to instill this family devotion. I'm like, the call in Deuteronomy, especially when they're this young, is the idea that, that just take advantage of the moments you have when they're asleep, when they're waking up, in between, on the road. When they, and that's why I love, Tracy was uh, talking about engaging the wonder uh, in your young ones. Because in that age, between that birth to kind of five years old, like, they are all, they have not had the, uh, the life beat out of them. Does that make sense? They haven't had the adult, uh, you know, crushed upon their soul. They are still living this innocent wonder, curiosity. And, and I think that's part of the reason scripture says to call it out, like tell them the stories about how wonderful God is. Like do it in these moments that you're already living because the wonder is, it's magical. It's, it's real. It is. This is the stage where kids are doing such a massive and rapid growth. They start out these little infants that are in, just totally vulnerable and incapable of really doing anything for themselves. They can cry. That's about it. And the, um, eat, they, yeah, they poop, they That's eat, it. and they sleep. Yeah. That's it at the That's beginning. It. And then by the time they're five, not only are they 
um, feeding themselves. They're communicating. They understand you. You can understand them. They can tell you what their needs are. Physically speaking, though, they can walk and run and climb and ride a bike, do splits and somersaults and all this amazing stuff. It's an incredible time of growth and development. And so when we can enter into that with them, with the wonder that they are experiencing, um, the growth and the it's a delightful time delighting with them in what they are doing and what God has done. It's very easy to point back to all of those things like, didn't God make you amazing? There's scripture that says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Did you know that you're made in his image? Did you know? Did you know? Do you see what he created? Isn't he incredibly thoughtful isn't he brilliant it's so it's a perfect time and stage to take all of those wonders all of that development all of that um time to just be able to point it back to him and and those teachable moments and that's anywhere everywhere all the time it doesn't have to be theological lessons it's the simple things it's always pointing them back to him i love yeah like we were talking about the uh, yesterday and today, like, you know, the amount of times they want to just, like, the fascination of bugs yeah. and, you know, things like that. Like, we're in a hurry. We're just trying to get in, in and out of Target as fast as possible and not spend as much money as we usually do, right? Like, that's the point. And yet they want to look at the caterpillar and they want to stop yeah. at this. And that's, I think that's when that, that verse says along the road and, you know, like, just, and I'm not saying it's easy. It's just take advantage of the wonder and curiosity that your littles have and let it remind you of the wonder and, and beautiful majesty of who God is to you. I've heard most parents tell me, especially new parents, um, tell me that, or even, you know, just in your life as a reflection, like you understood God's love for you even more when you had a, a kid of your own, right? Like there is, there is something about the wonder of that that changes things for you and your life of faith. Uh, here's the second thing we wrote down. I want to try to keep, keep us on time. Uh, the second thing we wrote down in terms of modeling, not just engaging in the wonder, but living out your faith, but discipline. Because this time in, in, the, in, the, in, their, in the littles' lives, you know, that birth to, to five, is a time of discipline. It's a time where you have to establish some, some discipline, but it needs to come through a heart of love. And, and really, the idea is loving correction. That's kind of the, the call we're given uh, in terms of how we reflect God's love for us in terms of how we, we discipline our kids. And so even as we were saying earlier, there's no one-size-fits-all formula or tool or anything that works in terms of this. Um, you have to, all three of our kids are different and had to be disciplined differently. Um, uh, some kids discipline themselves. And some discipline just themselves, that's true. I'm, I just, I'm going to go to my room. <laughs> yes, true. Okay, so it's that. one of those where you, you do have to kind of we all want to parent from efficiency, right? I get that. Like, even when there's more than one little in the house, we, we try to find the way, the most efficient way to parent. And don't, don't get me wrong, we do the same thing. That's, our, that's kind of our default. But the reality is, is that it is really intentional in this phase, um, especially even when it comes to disciplines. Let me read some of these verses for you. Again, these are on the scripture cards as well. But Proverbs 3, 11, uh, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. Don't be upset when he corrects you, talking to us. It says, the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects those whom he delights. The idea being is that when we understand how God lovingly corrects us, we're supposed to be the reflection of that uh, to our kids. 
right? That, uh, our youngest told Tracy one day that she didn't need to obey her. She needed to obey Jesus. Yeah, she, yeah. she thought she she's had something one. on me. She's, yeah. very, she's like, Mom, the Bible says that I have to obey God. I'm like, yeah, did you know there's another part that says you're supposed to obey your parents? I'm like, let me show you. <laughs> good, good opportunity to teach her. Yeah. She, she really but, thought she had a yeah, strong argument. And, yeah. and I was like, I'm glad you're using your mind, but let me just correct this let me right correct now. That lovingly. <laughs> uh, Proverbs 13, 24, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their kids. Right? Hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Again, this goes back to where the heart should be in terms of discipline. Uh, Ephesians 6, 4. Parents, fathers, it says, but parents, don't provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them, right? Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And this has always been a challenge for me because I know it's easy, especially when they're little. Uh, sometimes we find ourselves disciplining, disciplining them out of our frustration. We start disciplining them out of our issues. Like, you know, the fact that I told them to sit still and they weren't. The fact that I just cleaned the, 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 the screen or the glass door and their handprint went back on it. Does that make sense? Like we tend to sometimes default to a disciplinary mode in that where it's like, okay, but, but our goal is to reflect the heart of God. So are we really disciplining and instructing? Because I, I think of little ones like this. They're just chaos, right? They're just everywhere. And, and loving correction is just the constant moving of the shoulders, like get back, you know, get back into the right spot, right? Like, like follow the path. The path, again, is the truth of God. Let's follow this, let's follow this, let's follow that. And, and, and the heart of discipline has to come from that loving thing. It, it's, it's hard because, again, we, we will, will try, to, try to even parent multiple kids or discipline multiple kids the same way. And, and God wants us to be super intentional. As we share our faith and model it out, how are we lovingly correcting, you know, our kids? Um, and does it reflect God when you do it? You know, as your kid, kid, kids don't, Hebrews tells us, no one likes discipline when it's giving to us. But are our kids going to look back later in life and remember a really frustrated, angry parent who disciplined you out of their frustration? Or are they going to look back and see at all that you were, you did your very best to reflect the heart of God? Right. And the, and the truth of the matter is we do make this a lot about ourselves. We tend to um, feel like everything's a reflection on us when our children are misbehaving or not following bad directions. Mom, I dad. must be uh, like, your, your kids are crazy. What kind of parent are you? We tend to make things about us or um, we're easily embarrassed and or we project on them. We we almost create and introduce fear into their uh, minds because of things that maybe we were taught, things that we experienced, things that we had interpreted wrong. So we do a lot of things in ways that um, when we're doing it kind of like in the philosophy of the world or just kind of going it alone, we find ourselves defaulting to some of those tendencies. Mm -hmm. And that's where, we, um, that's where we're reminded, oh, wait, this is, you know, our model is um, when God, like he said, when God um, disciplines and corrects us, and that is our model. So a great book um, that we wanted to share um, as we move to this next section about patience um, we want to not only model um, 
what we're calling them to. We don't uh, only discipline, but we also show patience because children at this stage, they do need lots of time and patience and grace as they are figuring these things out. Um, like you said, the, the going into the store and like we got to stop and pick up the the leaves or, you know, examine the bugs and things like that. There's, there's a patience that is required. Um, but uh, beyond that, at this stage of the growth and development, there's, there's just a primary need for security and safety. Yep. Um, that, that, that knowledge that I am, I am unconditionally loved, that knowledge that I am safe and my needs are going to be met, um, that knowledge that um, that I'm going to be shown grace when I'm not making good choices, as we say in preschool world. And, Are you making good choices? No. Okay. Yep. Um, so there's a book called Grace-Based Parenting, and it's Dr. Kimmel who writes about a style that mirrors God's love, yep. reflects his forgiveness, and displaces fear as a motivator for behavior. Because again, our motivation is oftentimes, how does your behavior make me look as a parent? And I know, y'all, I've, I've been on the playground where all the moms are talking about their child uh, being potty trained at two, and I'm like, I don't know what your child is doing, but my child is not even close to that. And you feel like a little bit like, wow, what am I not doing? or when they're not reading yet, all of these things that we tend to, we know is a part of the developmental process, but when our kids are not maybe at the same place as others, we feel very insecure and threatened and like, what am I doing wrong? And, um, and we make it about us and um, feel like it's a reflection on us, but there's, yeah, it's, it's, that is not the that's not the right viewpoint or the lens to be viewing it anyway. But um, recognizing and understanding just developmentally, every kid goes at their own pace. And we've got to show that grace, God's love. And when they mess up, there's, <coughs> there's forgiveness. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And I know that I'm speaking to the choir I know that most of uh, most of you would say like what kind of parents do these things <laughs> but I'm telling you that's the that's our natural bent yeah that we can default to if we're not intentional yeah we'll put a lot of we'll talk about more of this in the weeks to come but we put a lot of anxiety and fear into our children that's something that they learn from us and uh, and again that's that's hard as a parent later on you, it's much harder to correct that. Um, and so, again, it's about this intentional modeling and directing in the, in the direction of our faith. So let me really quickly talk about kind of the role of us as a church. So, you know, whether you have littles right now or you've already had them and, you know, you've got high schoolers now, it's fine. But let's say, let's say for, for us, there is a call, a greater call to who we are in terms of our purpose as the body of Christ, as the community of faith. Um, to these little ones that are in the room over there, these, these littles. Like, 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 not only should we see them as a reflection of the kingdom of God with incredible joy, not just little snotty-faced, you know, didn't, didn't know they were, didn't know that, they, that you had just cleaned something before they put fingerprints everywhere. I'll never forget, it was Dan, it was Dan and Michelle Fatal. I remember they said uh, that their fingerprints were all over the house. 
and and they didn't they didn't wipe them all down all the time. And I said something about that, and they said, "Oh, the fingerprints. The reason we don't clean all the fingerprints off is because they're a reminder of life, right? They're a reminder of life. Like we're not rushing to to wipe them all away. Like the grandchildren in their home was a reminder of life and a reminder of God's fingerprint in their heart and life. So it was really really cool to to kind of hear that from an older family who understood and kind of kind of saw that. So let me just talk a little bit. These are a few scriptures in terms of just our our role, greater role as a church. This again from Deuteronomy, Moses' words to the people of God. Um, he's talking about, again, their faithlessness in terms of turning away from God. And then he's looking at the, the younger generation and telling them, is this the way that you repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Isn't he your father who created you? Is he not the one who established you? He says, remember the days long ago, right? Think about the generation past. He's talking about the one that, was fo- that followed God. He says, now he says, go ask your fathers, right? Go ask your fathers. They will tell you the faithfulness of God. They will tell you what God did in the wilderness. They will tell you these things. Go talk to your elders, right? Inquire of your elders, the people in their community of faith, the people that, that, that were, again, the body of Christ, as we call it in terms of the church. He said, go ask the elders. There's other people in your life. If your parents fail to do this, there's other people in your life that can tell you and show you about the wonderful grace of God and, and, and just declare, as the Bible says, to declare his uh, mighty works. In Psalm, this is David, right? King David. King David says, Oh God, you've taught me from the earliest childhood, and I, can, I constantly tell others about the wonderful things you do. And he says, But now that I'm old and gray, don't abandon me, right? Oh God, let me proclaim your power to, the new, to this new generation your mighty miracles to all who come after me. Even David in his older years understood his purpose, right? His purpose didn't end with the fact that he raised his kids. And trust me, David had tons of problems with his kids because of his sin and other things that went on in David's life. You'll have to, you know, there's more to that story. But even as he's old and gray and he's saying, you know, uh, you know, I've, we've, we've, I've been the king, I've done all these things, you know, don't let me just go to the wayside. I have a purpose, I want to be able to declare it to the new generation, to this next generation. I want to be able to tell them about how great God is. This is from Psalm 145. Great is the Lord. He's most worthy of praise. No one can measure his gratefulness. Let each generation tell, the ch- tell its children of your mighty acts and let them proclaim your power. So real simple, the role of the church is, is we're called to say it and show it. We're called to say it and show it to the next generation generation and especially when it comes to these little ones again uh, we're going to dismiss church in a little bit and you're going to hear them right they're going to come running out of the rooms of their parents their parents aren't going to pay attention to them especially those who belong to journey they just let that kid go you know and they run the hall and they run around here you know why because it's a safe place right we've created this safe place so they're going to run they're going to play the noise the chatter that that is i hope i hope for you going to be a continual reminder of the kingdom of God, and then it brings a smile to your face, right? But yet, this is also the time in which, I mean, I, I stand at the door sometimes to greet families, and, and I don't know if, I do this really intentionally, like I don't, talk to, I don't talk to adults without talking to their kids, you know? Especially when they're new or whatever, like, like I want to constantly address the kid, even if it's just great shirt, awesome hair, you know, oh, you made that today, that looks great. Why? Because that's a part of the role of the church, to, to, to say it, to show it. Kids, I want 
every, I mean, we're, not, we're talking about this little phase today, but all those kids, I want the next generation to see the church family, the church of Christ, as the most wonderful, joyous place to be a part of. That their memories of it are fond memories, are good memories. But it requires us to get involved. It requires us to take those steps and stay engaged, even in those little ones' lives. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to so many um, teachers and volunteers from back there who talk about once they got involved. And I know it sounds like we're just ultimately doing a plug for Kid Street. And so, uh, you know, I that was not the intent. But the point being is when you and others go back there and see what's really happening in the hearts of these kids. I mean, guys, their hearts are so tender at this age their their hearts are so receptive to just the excuse me the the purity of the truth mm-hmm. when you tell them that God loves them that God sent Jesus for them they receive it and they believe it and and that's what Jesus was talking about we just need to have that same kind of childlike faith and when you see what's happening back there the teachers they talk about what a blessing it is for them it grows and encourages their own faith because they see god doing big things in these little hearts and so that's the that's that's what our calling is it reminds me of that song that we sang the the very last song um you know the goodness of god the lyrics say all my life you have been faithful what a gift it is to be able to have our children say that as well to be able to say all my life god has been faithful he's put people in my life to point me to jesus to nurture my faith to encourage it and to continue sowing seeds of truth into there that is that's the call and that is our joy and privilege and when it happens when kids are getting it you will see something remarkable take place you'll see something in them that is it's just the most beautiful stunning thing i've got a picture i'm going to show you that's this is our youngest what we're talking about is and she's basking in the sun here five here She's five there. She's basking in the sun. But what we see when we invest in these children is a basking and a glowing in God's goodness. They are loved. They are protected. So they are safe. They are forgiven. They are, they know that God loves them and is with them. And he's never going to leave them, never going to forsake them. These truths give them a calm and a contentment that is unlike anything else they will receive. And so that's what we get the joy of seeing and being a part of and fueling in the lives of these kids. And I'll I'll close us out with this. Pouring into the next generation, it's it's the, the, the directional pursuit we have is to follow after Jesus. It's Hebrews 12. You know, I got my sight, my eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. The question that I would just challenge you with is, is, you, is your life right now, are you living a faith worth following? Right? 
I mean, again, we're, we're modeling this out for our children and for everyone else's children here in the church. And the question is, is that the kind of faith that you embody? Is that the kind of faith that you're living? Because that's the challenge. We're going to be talking about this over the next couple of weeks in terms of our investment in the next generation. But it does start with you. It starts with, are you living out that kind of faith in your life? That the kids, the next generation, the people that David said have come after me, are they looking, looking to you and saying, that is a faith worth imitating? That's what the Hebrews uh, writer says. It's a faith worth imitating. It's a faith worth living. And that's our challenge. Not just to think about, again, you know, how you can invest in the next generation, or maybe you're a parent of a little right now, how pe- people can come around in, in your community and help you, but, but really for you, are you living that kind of faith? the next generation, your grandkids and the kids after you and all that, aunts and uncles that are in the room, are they looking at you and seeing a faith worth following? Let's pray together and close us out. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. It's again, by only by your grace and your Holy Spirit, we can even say some of these things. God, we don't, uh, Tracy and I do not claim to be any experts. We have stumbled through this parenting thing and continue to only by holding tightly to you. Um, trusting in you that you love our kids even more than we love our kids. Um, and yet, God, as a church, as a church family, we do take seriously how you see your children, how you see these little ones as the kingdom of God. And God, it's our job as a church to be that safe space, to be that loving, joyous uh, collection of the body of you, Jesus, and, and to be living out of faith worth imitating, worth following for the littles that are coming behind. God, I just pray today that you'll just fill our hearts with not just the challenge of what we have before us, but the joy it is that we receive uh, when we live it out and, and live according to your word. And we thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.